when I was talking to people, so I was making very clear, like, this is the arena that we're playing it, you know, mass Mm -hmm. market, casual, we're making free to play games. So you know what you're getting into. And at the same time, part of the promise that I was making was that people were going to get to flex their creative muscles, like you're going to get to be a part of this, your voice is going to matter, really, whatever your position, we want to hear, you know, what you have to say, what ideas you have to suggest. Hi, I am Sophie Vu, and this is the Rise and Play podcast. In the show, I sit down with influential thought leaders of the gaming industry to deconstruct how they create the best team and company cultures in order to create the best games. Every episode brings actionable insight to improve your leadership, self-awareness, and emotional management skills. Because becoming a better leader starts with becoming a better human. So, are you ready to unlock your full potential in life and business? Let's begin. Raise up your game development with a new podcast sponsor, Game Refinery. Having been the user myself, what I like about Game Refinery's tool is that it helps game developers take a more data-driven approach to adding features, metas, and live events to their mobile games at any stage of development, from new game development to growing the current portfolio of games. And what makes Game Refinery differ from a traditional market research tool is that its team of game analysts play and deconstruct the best-in-class mobile games on an ongoing basis, across 50 genres, hundreds of features, and thousands of live events. The data insights provided are actionable because they are based on data collected by real humans and not bots. And you will save a lot of time browsing through a database of almost 100,000 screenshot implementation that you can collect and share with your teammates. So want to learn more about how game developers like Zynga, FunPlus, Rovio, Garena, and King use Game Refinery to build better games with leaner teams? Go to info.gamerefinery.com slash riseandplay to sign up for free access or to request a demo. Or just check out the link in the podcast episode notes. So today, I'm very excited to be sitting down with Julie Beaugrand. And for the context uh, for my listeners here as well, with Julie, we know have known each other for over a decade now working at GameLove. So it's also a pleasure to reconnect and catch up on what have been up to in our busy life, you know, as head of studios and executives. So for the one who don't know Julie, so a little bit more about herself. So Julie has been working in gaming for over 12 years and she got her first taste at the Walt Disney Company in the marketing team before embarking on a journey at Gameloft in production in the headquarters in Paris. So she began working as a what we call executive producer or HQ producer and four years later transferred to Toronto to run the studio there. In 2019, she was promoted to be VP for North America Studios, overseeing Montreal and Mexicali Studios, as well as becoming part of a company management committee. And exciting news, she recently joined Rovio as a head of studio and has been building up a new studio and team in Toronto for the past 11 months. So hi, Julie. Good morning, should I say. How are you? Yeah. Good afternoon, Sophie. I'm great. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. It's so nice to see you again. How are you? Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, actually great also to uh, catch up as well and for recording sessions as I have also many other questions about what you've been up to. And uh, yeah, it's very exciting start and what uh, you've been up to over the past year. So what is exciting for you these days? 
Oh, yeah. There's like tons that's exciting going on. It's funny because summer things tend to slow down a little bit because people go on vacation and take some time off, which is great. And I, I've actually been delving into some masterclass classes, which I, I, I was gifted uh, for my birthday. And I'm taking one specific class about cooking, which is something that I love to do. And that really soothes me. So I'm learning about Italian cooking from Massimo Bottura. And it's uh, fascinating. I love it. All right. Uh, so then the other exciting thing, of course, uh, that I mentioned uh, in your intro is as well uh, your new studio. And so you joined about end of last year to open the new studio in Toronto. And can you tell us more how it started for you and the transition from Gameloft? Because you've been also a long time there, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, that's correct. So I spent 11 years at Gameloft and I, I recently left last year to join Brovio to open a new studio. So what's been amazing for me is building a team from the ground up. I was running a studio for, for a long time at Gameloft before I started at Rovio. And so I learned a lot of things. Uh, I joined, you know, the studio at Gameloft that had been existing for, for four years, but this was an opportunity to use everything that I've learned and actually, okay, what is, you know, what is the ideal team? What does the ideal environment look like for me? And I get a chance to do that. And of course, what's great in the early years is that everything is possible. It's that blank canvas. So that was, that was amazing. And so about your whole experience that you gathered at Gameloft and this need of transition, what were the things really that were important for you building exactly a studio from the start and that you really wanted to have right for yourself that you could do now and can you tell us more as well on the start and the approach you used for this new studio yeah absolutely i think what was really in the end pretty straightforward and easy for me is that i used what drew me to rovio and what convinced me to join them and to do this um, and so that way it was very easy to approach candidates and say like this is what i'm trying to do are you are you interested in this do you and i think at the end of the day that's what i want to do is have a group of people that are fundamentally aligned that are very different in where they come from, their backgrounds, their experiences, but that really understand like what we're here to do, how we want to do it, which is pretty important, the values that bring us together. And so for me, again, it was pretty easy because I was very candid and transparent with candidates with what brought me to, to Rovio. And I think one of the things that really is fundamental uh, to me is really team empowerment. So I really see myself as someone who is here to provide the best environment to assemble, the best team. Um, and that really means having people that are complementary to each other, that are going to elevate each other, that are going to learn and grow together and to help them do what they do best, to help those experts do what they do best and to, to be there for them. And so I found that really at Rovio when I was interviewing with them, when I met a bunch of studio heads, people from, you know, the 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 executive committee as well and the executive team leadership team and so it was great it was it was great to be able to approach people and say like this is something that i know is really important to me and that is really important to a lot of candidates and this is a place where you're going to be able to do that you're going to be able to flex those muscles in an environment that's going to allow you to thrive so mm -hmm. what was your thought process about uh, building this team with the people of course you've built trust with in your previous studio or starting really from scratch and going with a brand new team and not being attached, maybe it's not the accurate word, but, you know, influenced or biased by the past and starting fresh, like you say, a white canvas. How did you approach the mix of past uh, hires, collaborators and new ones? So, I mean, it's, it's definitely an interesting question. I think what you pointed out is very, very true, like being able to take the time to get quote unquote right people, not 
people that are right for you and, and, and that you're right for as well, because I really believe it goes both ways, is mm-hmm. really, really important and takes time. And certainly it took more time than, than I anticipated. To go back to your question, I think for me, it was a combination of both. I wanted to of course, like work with new people, because I think that's something that's really um, enriching and allows you to see, look at different points of view. And at the same time, I had people in my network that I had worked with very closely that I knew we saw eye to eye, or when we didn't see eye to eye, we had the ability to talk to each other very candidly and have constructive, you know, conflict, which is really important to me. Uh, So I ended up doing a combination of both. So in the first couple of months I hired, in the end, there were four there were four of us by the end of the year. Two of the three people that I hired then were people that I had worked with previously quite extensively and that I, I know quite well. And and another one was someone that I had never worked with, but that worked with somebody else that I hired. So it, it created a good mix and a good solid foundation, in my opinion, for getting started, especially in a world where we're still in the pandemic, post-pandemic, working remote. Um, I personally find it very challenging. I very much... I care about people first and foremost and uh, and creating those bonds or getting to know people or, you know, having all those like life human experiences that help you work also together better as, as a team is, I find more difficult to do fully, fully remotely. So when you have people with whom you've had the chance to do that in the past, it's it was quite helpful. Um, now, like here I am 11 months in, I definitely say that has paid dividends over the past little bit. And mm-hmm. since we've had it's like the vast majority of people that uh, I'd never worked with that we just hired, um, you know, off the market. And, um, and I think it's really helped create the right base environment for, for integrating these people in, you know, the circumstances that we have right now. Like, for instance, we still don't have an office. So we finally actually found a place. So we're, we're, we're getting a place in October. Don't quote <laughs> me on that. Probably a little bit later than we, we hope. But we're getting a place, which is great. And in the meantime, we've been using co-working spaces. But yeah, having that combination of people that uh, knew each other from previously and, and those that are completely new uh, has, been, has been helpful. I think also when you build a new studio, it is uh, it takes time to build trust and having too many of people you bring with you and fewer new ones, it can also give a sense of exclusion, right? Where it is like you are a group and then there are the new ones who are not. And this is something also to uh, pay attention to. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, and it's interesting. You mentioned trust. Like that's part of what we do is, is the onboarding. We've had two onboarding sessions as we welcome more people. We're going to have more. And part of what I talk about is also the five dysfunctions of a team. Mm-hmm. I, I, you're probably familiar with the book. It's a, I thought it was a great one. And and I, I talk about that because uh, the, the first like dysfunction, uh, you know, to overcome or to make sure that you have before you really can do anything else is trust. Um, and I, there are no shortcuts to that. Like you have to live through things together. You have to make the effort to get to know people. You have to um, understand people's strengths and weaknesses and their values and how they communicate and um, and make that effort to, you know, get to know people so that you can have that base and then move up, you know, get people that are having healthy conflicts that are committing to decisions and so on and so on. Um, so that is, that is very important. I think what you're, what you say is right as well in terms of having striking that right balance and making sure that you're being inclusive mm-hmm. uh, because I think you're, you're right. Like a lot of what we're trying to do is something new <laughs> and bringing new ways of thinking. Yeah. And I understand the, 
mission of many new studios indeed to crack something, bring something new, create values. So really innovating in a way, not only in the product, but also probably in the approach of making games. And this is the interesting part here where uh, from a previous discussion, you had not necessarily a full fleshed out product vision before you hired the team and you left it open as you build your team over the past 11 months. So what was the thinking to take consciously this decision and also what kind of profile you were looking to to be aligned with this vision that is a bit like fluid and vague for people to come and, and, and still be there, you know, in the long term. Definitely. I think when I joined and the conversations I had with Rovio, it was always clear. There's some, some like basic blocks that were there that were clear. Like we were here to put together, I was here to put together a new team um, to make a free to play game. And we were going for something that was mass market. We were here to complement the existing roster of Rovio game masteries. Um, so there was no reason for us to start making, you know, a match three or, you know, that was covered already very well in other Rovio um, studios. So the rest was kind of open. So, I mean, at the time when I was having those conversations, I had my own ideas of what like potential genres, what brands were potentially interesting to to use. Um, so I came up, you know, from what I know of the market and what, what I think I can do with the, the talent pool that I have here. Um, so I came up with something, but always keeping it open, like you said, because mm -hmm. that's part of what I believe too, the team empowerment is, uh, you know, I come from an environment that's historically very top down, which is something that mm -hmm. doesn't quite work for me, or, or I don't see that as the, the best path to success for me and for my team. Um, and so that was very, very important. And so it was great because when I was talking to people, so I was making very clear, like this is, this is the arena that we're playing it, you know, mass mm -hmm. market, casual, um, we're making free-to-play games. So you know what you're getting into. Uh, and at the same time, part of the promise that I was making was that people were going to get to flex their creative muscles. Like you're going to get to be a part of this. Your voice is going to matter, really. Whatever your position, we want to hear, you know, what you have to say, what ideas you have to suggest. And so that's been very... I think that's, again, paid a lot of dividends because it's really attracted people who are very eager to flex those muscles and to contribute to something new. I think that's always something very enticing, um, as well as allowed me to create what I believe is going to be a team that has shows a lot of resilience and adaptability uh, because I have people, a lot of people who have a wealth of experience who have worked on a lot of different genres, um, who are going to be able to kind of adapt to whatever the market becomes or changes into. And we know that we're at a point where, you know, the, the gaming and the mobile gaming industry is, is changing a lot. You know, it's getting to points where it's very saturated. We see some potential avenues for evolution, you know, whether that's for now or for in a couple of years, who knows. But I think it's really important to kind of stay tuned into everything that's going on and put together a team that's going to be able to Know, be there for the long run. And um, as you go forward, like now in production and development, I remember having those thoughts as well. Uh, what uh, good or if we want to uh, name it this way, success look like for you uh, in three years of existence of a studio? And uh, I would ask a question here on a personal level for you and then separate it from on the studio level, like, you know, like more tangible results. Or So what good looks like for you, uh, you know, after three years of a studio existence? 
Um, I think for me, after three years, I hope that we have put together, you know, a full a full team uh, that we have that we're not a well-oiled machine, but we're a team that now been doing things together for a while that understand each other, that understand each other's strengths. Um, hopefully we've shipped a game, you know, we've gone through that. There's so much that comes into actually doing that together for the first time. Um, and yeah, and we have we have a, a thriving environment and a stronger presence because Rovio is also new to North America. Um, we have another studio in Montreal that opened a year and a half before before we did, but we're pretty we're pretty new and we're stretching the fabric of Rovio by by coming into North America. So um, so hopefully there's that we've kind of built up a, a name for ourselves also in in this uh, landscape. Mm-hmm. And on a personal level, for you. What is like something, you know, that you could look back after three years, like if this happened, I'm happy independently from the result. For me, it's really about the team. Like if I've managed to assemble that team and that there, I have people around me that are working well, that are thriving, that are jumping on something that's new and that's, and thinking critically. And yeah, I think that I would be, I would be pretty, pretty happy with that. Mm-hmm. And also with this reality of building, of course, a new venture, you know, what are the things that also keeps you busy, you know, at night, occupying your thoughts at the moment? Right now? Oh my, so much, so much. <laughs> <laughs> like we said, you know, part of maybe to go back to some of the things we were discussing, like part of what we're doing right now is a lot of market testing and, you know, how mm-hmm. you were describing, you know, like having people from different uh, horizons also helps look at things differently. So right now we have that. We have like the way that we would do things at Gameloft, the way that things are being done at Rovio, the way things are being done at other companies. And it's kind of figuring out, I don't know that there's one really uh, right and wrong here. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's about figuring out what, what's right for us. And so we're, I think part of what's like occupying us a lot is figuring out what's right for us, um, given the team size and the resources that we have and the types of concepts that we're working on. How do we get, you know, the best possible results without cutting corners? Um, Mm -hmm. And it's finding that right balance between, you know, um, quick and dirty, but that gives you the the results that you need and that are meaningful enough. Um, and the other, the opposite of the end of the spectrum being, you know, spending months and months on something without really any market data uh, to confirm like this is a promising concept. And so we're trying to find what's right for us in the, I don't mm-hmm. like saying in the middle because it's not a compromise, but for what we're specifically trying to achieve. And I remember among, you know, those, um, the goals that are discussed with uh, leadership, uh, but I found the ones that are, the one we really live with is the one that we uh, set to ourselves and that sometimes it's like, you know, there's, oh, for example, on the company level, it's like, it's okay, you have this time to build this. And I remember having this little voice like, well, I have this time and it, ha- it needs to happen. Like we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and is this something you experience yourself? You know, between like your own goal versus like what people are expecting from you, you know? Yes. Oh my God. Constantly. I, I realize myself that I put more pressure on myself than anyone else does mm-hmm. in the company. Um, and I have timelines sometimes and, and it's happened already a couple of times where I've had to like step, you know, take a step back, like, wait, like we're actually, we've done this, 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 we've got this done. Like we, we've done a lot, like we're actually in a good place and it's about, finding that right balance between kind of the 
healthy pressure, you know, that we want to keep on ourselves to make sure that we're, we're moving forward. And at the same time, you know, also acknowledging the circumstances and, and, you know, just the time that things take for a brand new team and brand new people that are working together. Um, and yes, like that's, for me, like being mindful of it has changed a lot. So being really taking a time, like a moment when I realized like, wait, I'm really, okay, I'm really stressed out right now. Why am I stressed out? What's going on? Um, okay, I'm afraid of this. This is, And just without even solving it, but just being a little bit more aware about what's going mm-hmm. on, um, it actually really helps to take steps to, um, you know, refocus. Okay, what's important? What do we actually need to get done, you know, at this point and in this time frame? How are we actually doing, you know, um, and taking a little bit more of a an objective view as opposed to one where a more subjective one where I, I do think I personally know I have a tendency to put a lot of pressure on myself and I don't want to pass that on to, to people around me because I don't think it's the healthiest thing. So mindfulness helps a lot. Let's take a short break to hear a few words from a sponsor who are making this episode possible. In today's challenging mobile game market, the most successful games grow and retain players by continuously adding new features, metas, and live events. Game Refineries 2 lets you scale up your collection and analysis of the best practices behind the most successful games today without building out a big team to do so. So you can spend less time playing your competitors' games and more time improving your own. You already use data to optimize your UI and monetization. Now use the data-driven approach to game production, whether you are developing new games or growing existing ones. Go to info.gamerefinery.com slash riseandplay to sign up for free access or to request a demo. Or check out the link in the podcast episode notes. Now, let's get back to our conversation. Um, so right now, so... Let's take a step back as well of what you've done before, of course, Rovio, because you have uh, also a great experience uh, leading a studio and a big studio. So I remember as well, like uh, at Gameloft, we had those massive studio, 100 people. And um, can you tell us more how, yeah, what was your role there, your team, and even how you were organized, which I'm sure is very different from your small team, like 10 people now compared to 100 Definitely, definitely. So when I joined, um, when I became head of studio at Game Off Toronto, um, it was a lot. And I think what really helped me in that situation is a couple of things. There's like experience, uh, growing pains, like really going through things uh, and, and learning through that. And also finding support where, you know, I didn't really have support from from. Uh, my superiors at the time, but finding it in other places. So actually we have a common friend, Patrick, he was the studio head oh, in yeah. New Zealand and he'd been there for a while and we knew each other from previously. And I would always, so, you know, New Zealand, Toronto, not, not ideal in terms of a time zone, but he was great. He was always there for me and I'd call him up like, how do you deal with this? Like, mm-hmm. this is what's going on. Um, and what's pretty fascinating is as the studio was growing, I grew to, I grew into this role and you get to a point where, you know, you're asking for advice and, before you think you just have to kind of apply and then you get to a point where, okay, no, actually I have my own ideas about how I want to do things and how I want to handle things. So, um, so it was interesting because it was, there was a lot going on. I think over the first couple of years, it was really about, we got fewer projects. We zeroed in on three projects um, and we had one really big project that uh, eventually came out that was Disney Magic Kingdoms that we worked on for three years. Mm-hmm. It was a tough, tough game to, to put out. Uh, first uh, first time working on a tycoon and character collection game for the studio, working with a big IP like Disney, Pixar, 
probably I've worked with a lot of IP holders. Um, definitely up there with the most challenging ones um, to 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 work with. Uh, and um, so yeah, so we really I think as a studio also came into our own as we released that game. Right about when we released that game, GameLoft was also bought out by. Vivendi, acquired by Vivendi. Um, so there was a lot of management change at that point uh, that really changed things pretty drastically for me as well in terms of just how the company was run and the amount of stress and pressure that I was under that I, I don't think I could have stayed on for much longer if there hadn't <laughs> been those changes. It was it was quite rough. So, so that was great. I mean, again, Gameloft was historically a very top-down company. It became a little bit less so at that point. It's historically a very siloed company. It became a little bit less so at that point. So, yeah. So it took a, a couple years really for me to come into my own um, in, in that position, and also for the studio to grow and then ship some successful, um, you know, projects. Disney Magic Kingdoms ended up ended up being the highest-grossing game of Gameloft of all time. So. Um, a great game to have under my belt <laughs> as a yeah. head of studio for sure. And also I was interested in even getting a little step back as well before you took the role as a head of studio in Toronto, because we were both, you know, if you remember also HQ producers in Paris. And as you said, you never managed a team. We were managing remotely, like uh, protected behind a screen, like not really having, uh, how do you say, consequences of, good or bad management we could do, you know, by uh, remote communication. So what made you make the step to just go abroad, Canada, jumping in, you know, in the role without any experience? What what happened for you there? Yeah, it was it was crazy because so just to go back a little bit, I'm I'm French. My whole family is French, but as it happens, I grew up in the US. And so I, I spent, you know, until I was 18, I was in the US and I moved to France for my studies and I started working there. So I'm I like to consider myself a weird hybrid between North America <laughs> and Europe and uh, it served me well in Canada. Um, so fast forward back to, to being at Gameloft and headquarters and it'd been four years and I felt that I'd kind of been around the block and I was ready for something new. And at that point, I was definitely thinking I would love to go back to North America in some capacity and never uh, consider Toronto. I never stepped foot in Toronto at that point. And, and then as it happens, like the, the studio head in Toronto had decided to, to leave and they were looking for someone to replace him. And the way, especially the company was run at the time, um, you know, the head of production very much was placing his, the people that he had trust in, um, in those positions and perhaps not looking as thoroughly through qualifications and what you might want to look into, into someone. And, you know, when you've, when you'd been there for four years, you were one of the people that were trusted. So you'd been through enough and to, to be one of those people. And so they, they offered the job to me. Um, I promptly said no, because I was so scared. I was like, what? No, I can't do this. And, mm -hmm. and I was really, really, you know, scared. It seemed like very daunting to make that kind of big jump and to, to be frank, it really was. Um, then I gave it a little bit more thought. And honestly, I kind of talked myself into it. I'm like, listen, like, what are you waiting for? If you say no to an opportunity like this, then what are you waiting for? So, you know, it was about saying, okay, let's, let's say yes, let's say yes. And what's the worst that can happen? You'll move back, you'll move somewhere else, get another job, you know, like it'll, it'll be okay. And so, and off, off we were, <laughs> me, my, my spouse and my cat off to, to Canada and Toronto. And so, <laughs> It was a it was a crazy opportunity and it was honestly a crazy bet because again, I 
honestly did not quite have the qualifications to to fill that role. As it turns out, I think it was um, I think it was a good casting call because uh, it, it's a, a role that suited me quite well. Mm-hmm. What has changed with like uh, you know kind of a, this little voice you had when you had to jump in this uh, venture in Toronto with GameLoft, and then once again you had to change and you had interesting conversation going on for your next path uh, in career. And what was different this time? Yeah, it's. I think it, it's really a process. And fundamentally, there comes a point where the discomfort, the pain, the whatever it is you're feeling of like sticking with the status quo becomes bigger than the fear and discomfort of going into the unknown and trying something new. And I think to a degree, that's part of what happened. And and there was really something that opened up in me and I'm like, okay, I'm going to put myself out there. Um, I'm going to get rejected. And I think that's part of really embracing a growth mindset, which mm-hmm. like from my upbringing and also I think just like, you know, I don't know, you probably as a French person understand this more. Um, like, I think that, you know, it, we really don't have, we have more of a fixed mindset, you know, and like embracing that growth mindset is also saying, okay, I'm going to have failures. And all of that actually teaches me something and helps me grow and helps me get to where I need to be. And so that really opened things up for me when I opened myself up more to talking with recruiters to, and not just anyone, but really finding opportunities that were like interesting to me, um, including for some positions where I never would have thought myself um quote unquote worthy or, you know, uh, qualified to, to interview for or to apply for. Uh, and so that was really, I think, a changing point for me. And so one of the experiences was namely, I think it was like early 2021, I had some, I, I went through some interviews with Netflix, um, which was a company that I was pretty familiar with. I'd read mm-hmm. the book, which I really enjoyed. Um, I kind of felt familiar with their their culture, things that scared me a lot from their culture, some mm-hmm. things that I I really bought into pretty strongly as well. And and so those were great conversations and I got to meet pretty high up execs um, through all the interviews. And it was like, wow, okay, um, there is a world out there and there are things that are different and alluring and things, environments where I feel like I can probably grow and thrive and learn. So um, that was that was great. So even though like ultimately it didn't work out um, and, you know, like our, our egos are always a little bit hurt in those circumstances, I was still so grateful. Like, wow, okay, I feel... I feel even better, even like staying at Game Lofter, I feel better because I, I feel more confident in my worth um, on the market and outside of the market, outside of Game Loft. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because Netflix, you know, I don't re- know if you remember in the book, they also encourage their employees to yes, talk to, to interview. recruiters. Yes, exactly. Openly, very openly, right? Don't hide, yeah. like, uh, it's fine. It's just yeah. know your worth and, and yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so you embrace this, this mindset, although you stayed uh, then uh, in Game Loft until you realize as well new opportunities and maybe new desires you had uh, about uh, taking you know a step up uh in building your own thing next definitely definitely i think but like what you describe it has a lot to do with confidence and really Mm -hmm. like whether you stay in a job or you go into another one like making sure that your confidence is there that you're you know you also describe like how difficult it is for 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 people in general um to you know 
note what's remarkable about yourself to be to take pride in some achievements and like making a conscious effort to do that to listen to people when they pay you a compliment mm-hmm. um, I, I've really tried to do that more actively I have I have a journal now when when that happens I try to take notes and and to to remember that and to read it on another day maybe when I'm not feeling so so hot <laughs> and like okay just keep that confidence going because that will help you really whether in your current job and your future jobs, like it's just, it's a game changer. And also worth uh, mentioning um, before, so you joined Rovio and you also were promoted on a VP role, which is, you know, again, something worth mentioning. And I'm curious, how did this happen? Uh, this uh, promotion at Gameloft? And I remember as well with the reality of Vivendi acquisition, uh, probably much more meetings, board meetings that you were part of. Uh, how was the experience for you and, you know, your evolution, maybe your growth, personal growth through the whole process of being more exposed to management discussion and board discussions? Yes. So that was, so it's it's interesting because just like becoming head of studio was offered to me and I initially said no. And then I said, yes, um, becoming a VP was something that I actually went after and that I asked mm-hmm. for. So that was a great, a big, a big difference. And I, I didn't get to that point all on my own. I think part of what I, I got through Vivendi as well is they have a network for um, women in positions of leadership, which I was like lucky enough to join, which was amazing. So in terms of just a support group you get throughout the whole, you know, women that are throughout the the Vivendi group, but as well as coaching. So executive coaching and, and my coach was pretty spectacular and honestly a big game changer in terms of unlocking potential and, helping me identify like my fears and my fears of failure. And, you know, you know, I still deal with some of that for sure right now, but I'm more aware of it and I'm able to transcend that more. And so through a lot of that coaching and support, I got to a place where there was more, there was a key pivotal moment when um, the, the head of studio in Montreal left and um, I'd been doing quite well at, at Toronto and I was um, instrumental in appointing the new person who eventually replaced that person in Montreal. And, um, and that person was going to report to me. And so I asked the CEO um, specifically the, to, to become a VP and to get a seat at the table, which he promptly agreed on. Uh, but so I, I, I went and asked for it. And of course, it's, it's good. It's good to remember. It's to ask for things, you know, like bearing in mind, they may well say no. That's part of, uh, <laughs> that's part of the rules when you ask something. But if you don't ask, you may never get, right? Uh, if you're like kind of just waiting for people to realize how awesome you are and to give things, mm-hmm. you may wait for a very long time. So it was, uh, it, it's hard. You have to put yourself out there. You know, you have to be vulnerable, uh, but it can also yield results. And that's, that's how it happened. There were definitely challenges. I, I, I learned things. Uh, I can remember one anecdote where, there was one management committee. We were all there. We were brainstorming. I can't remember what it was, like something about like how, how to release more games or the difficulties we're having with that. And I remember coming up with a suggestion, which is like promptly brushed aside or kind of ignored. And literally two minutes later, you know, a male colleague suggested the exact same thing. And everyone's mm. like, yeah, let's do that. And I was like, this can't be happening. This is like a movie. Um, but what I learned from there is also, you know, as opposed to just being angry at the system, it's also like, what can I do differently? How am I communicating in a way, you know, that can be, give me more chances of being heard and putting myself out there more. Um, so it was, it was definitely useful. For this particular anecdote, that is uh, unfortunately 
you're not the first and the last one who shared it with me. What what did you do differently than after like those kind of events? Like how was it also through coaching that you had some techniques or tools, you know, in how you appear and your communication in those board meetings? So I definitely got coaching on communication, um, which was, and some of it I still, I still kind of struggle with. So I don't know about that specific point, but just about how to communicate up or how to communicate with different people and understanding. I think I have a very strong voice or I can be very opinionated. And I think that's part of that is also like the result of like not feeling like you've been heard for a long time and, and mm-hmm. realizing. So taking again, like being very mindful of that, I realized uh, through coaching that I was maybe coming off as angry a lot of the times because I was. And, and the truth mm-hmm. behind that is that I often felt like I wasn't heard and there was even fear behind that. <laughs> so uh, fear of something like a consequence for the studio or for some of the projects that we were working on or the people. Um, and so just, again, understanding that and changing my communication, like that changed things a lot. Like where I was less angry, I was a little bit more aware, okay, this is my actual concern. How can I bring that to the table more directly as opposed to, you know, just being very defensive, which doesn't get you, you know, as far as you'd like. And it was pretty fascinating because my, uh, my boss at the time, uh, he noticed things. He said, Julie, you're, you're different. Like he literally <laughs> sent me a text and I, and I remember telling him that's the coaching. <laughs> Cause I think that's really important too, to give that visibility. Like, Hey, this is working. This is support that's actually helping. Um, and to be fair, it was, it's great for women. It would be great for a lot of people, a lot more people. Um, and that really helps us function better as a group. So getting some of those keys, understanding what's going on, understanding what's going on within yourself and taking some time sometimes also, you know, just giving, giving yourself a buffer really changes the dynamic and communications. Yeah. And I, I double down on the, the tools you've used because I have also, I've been assisted in coaching, executive coaching, where I face the same situation. And later on, I had the same comment from my manager, you are a totally different person. And you don't uh, see the change yourself because you're part of it and you try different things. And you think, I'm still the same. I feel the same inside. But a lot of things you internalize and you process and you, you know, it's like cool down. It's like, okay, these are uh, some emotions, some, you know, tension I feel. What do I need to say and in which way so people understand, you know, what I'm asking? Basically, I think the, the main uh, actionable tip for me was really translate whatever the, the friction, you have emotional friction, whether it's fear, anger, uh, into an actionable, like, what am I asking? Am I asking more people, more budget, time? Uh, am I asking, uh, wanting to have a, I don't push a suggestion? And then just focus on that. So being in a way less emotional. And this is still something I'm trying to see if, uh, is it wrong to have emotion in a conversation or is this the way it is right now? Because this is the language, uh, predominantly as it is, but uh, does it make it necessarily wrong? So that's something I've learned to, um, as a skill, but I'm still wondering, you know, where, it's okay as what well you say, you're not sure about something or, you know, you have fears. But I, I have experienced that the, those comments are not very much accepted the higher you go and on a more executive level. Yes, and definitely it's, it's a fine balance. It's a fine balance like where you definitely want to have a place, a safe place to like experiment that. And I've definitely 
throughout the years between like my peers or people now, what's great is that even if you've stayed in a company for a very long time, you have like, now you have friends in every company, which is mm -hmm. great. A good part of about becoming older and having a safe space to also share some of that stuff. Like there's some mm -hmm. things I think are, are good to share, um, you know, with your, your superiors or execs, but some are maybe like healthier to, ch you know, check in with, uh, with peers or, or people outside of your company that you trust and friends and finding the right time and place for that, I think is also helpful because I definitely try to welcome all emotions or not to fight against them or, mm -hmm. you know, just like realize this is what's going on. And then it's about maybe time and place and, and creating a buffer also for yourself, uh, which I found is very very helpful. Mm -hmm. And we're reaching also uh, our end of conversation in this point of life. Is there something that you haven't experienced yet that you would love to learn, grow in and might not be game related or professional, but is there something? Um, there's definitely something like I know I've learned and I didn't quite know that at the very beginning of my career. Now it is absolutely crystal clear that something that I'm very passionate about is the entertainment industry in general and gaming. Absolutely. It's a big part of my life right now. It's a big part of how I spend my free time as well. Another big, um, big thing in my life is everything that has to do with the TV and film industry. That is mm -hmm. also a big part of how I spend my time um, and, and my free time as well. And I'd love, I think that's an industry that I would love to dabble in. I think that was part of my appeal with Netflix as well. Cause like, Ooh, this is like, uh, this is mm -hmm. both words colliding. And somehow even in my gaming industry that stayed, uh, that's caught up with me because I've worked a lot on IP, um, on IP games from, uh, you know, big movies. So that's something I would love to, to dabble in. <laughs> That's amazing. And on this last note, any last piece of advice based on all the things we discussed today, like one of your key message and learning for whoever wants to grow more, you know, career as head of studio? Yes, um, there's there's so many, but I want to go back to confidence and building confidence really in whatever position you're in, whatever future position you're looking for, building confidence. You don't have to do it alone. Reach out to people, people you may have in your network already or, or people, you know, go out on the limb and reach out to someone on LinkedIn for advice or for a coffee chat um, because there's there's really always ways to get support and to, to boost yourself and hopefully give you the confidence to, to make that leap, you know, whether in your company and, and whatever you're trying to do in your personal life. It just, it brings me joy to see, to see people do that. And so I really want to encourage people to take a, take a leap. And you will do and you had today uh, with the conversation. So thanks a lot, Julie, for sharing your whole experience. And very nice to catch up with you in those circumstances remotely until uh, we can meet hopefully later this year in Toronto. That would be awesome. Thank you so much, Sophie. I had the best time. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of the Rise and Play podcast. I am trying to grow a community of conscious leaders across the industry and beyond. So if you want to join this movement, Please share the podcast with other conscious leaders because we have so much more we can learn from each other. Also, please don't forget to follow the show so you don't miss out on future content. Every episode is packed with actionable insights that will help you improve your leadership skills now. And if you are interested in learning more on the topics that we discussed today, you can find more insights on riseandplay.io and there you will also find my free masterclass on conscious leadership. So have a great week. And until the next time, 